welcome to The Prosper Project, the show that helps entrepreneurs build brands that impact the world and the bottom line. We know that success doesn't come in a one-size-fits-all package. That's why we're bringing you adaptable marketing strategies along with valuable insights from inspiring changemakers, firebrands, and visionaries. I'm Lorraine Sugart, founder of the disruptive brand agency, Prosper for Purpose. Now for this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of The Prosper Project, where my guest is Carolyn Pistone. She is the president and managing director of Clear Blue Commercial Incorporated, and her purpose is inspiring others to make the world a better place. The way that she does that is through commercial real estate that is dedicated to saving the planet. Carolyn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Lorraine. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, so tell our audience a little bit more about what you do, because you're really involved in the environmental movement. You're in California. Tell us a little bit more about what you do and what drives you. Well, as a business, commercial real estate, we represent buyers and sellers and landlords and tenants and all manner of real estate transactions. And we've built ourselves on a property management platform. And property management is very basic. You collect the rents, you pay the bills, you maintain the property. But what we have discovered, and we didn't discover it, but what we are highlighting is that our commercial built environments are one of the top five emitters of greenhouse gas emissions in the world. And if we look at these buildings and these properties and accept the fact that they are on the earth, they're in a community, they're in an ecosystem, and everything that happens in and around that building impacts the environment in some way. What we saw is that the opportunity for positive impact in our communities and in the planet was huge in terms of whatever a nice word for attacking, attacking commercial real estate. So we are also Clear Blue Commercial, which is our company. We are a certified green business, a certified small business, a certified woman-owned business, and a B Corp. And we're the only commercial real estate services firm in the world that is all those things. Wow. We set out to do that and get those certifications when we launched the company 10 years ago. And we did it for a number of reasons. Number one, we're very good people and we want to make the world a better place. Number two, we really wanted to plant a flag with our brand saying, you know, we're using our business as a force for good and here's how we're going to do it. It also keeps us very well positioned to work with large corporations and government entities, which allows our tiny little companies to have the maximum impact, positive impact that we can provide. That's great. That's really inspiring. Now, did you come from a real estate background? Uh, No, I ended up in real estate. I know the answer, but I want to kind of walk down that path with you because I know you didn't come from real estate. So tell our listeners a little bit about the things you were doing before real estate and then kind of what your moment was when you decided, hey, this is where I want to have my impact. Well, I like to say if you lose enough jobs, you get a great resume and mine is particularly impressive. I was recently writing an article for an executive search for a newsletter. And to do that, I had to list out all of the jobs that I'd ever had and kind of 
write about those transitions. And I had 42 jobs. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if I'd remember if I had 42 jobs. Well, and I went back to, okay, well, there was babysitting and lifeguarding. And, you know, there were some of those were in there, but it's really been a long trajectory. And I bounced around a lot. I came out of the entertainment industry. I was an actor and a producer and a director. I did stand-up comedy. I ran a movie studio for a while. I had my own uh, recruiting company and I consulted with a number of other companies. I ended up getting recruited by one of my clients that was a precursor to the dot-com collapse. Mm. And I got to experience the entire life cycle of a company in one year. Oh. And I, previous to that, I had been a huge cheerleader for whatever organization I had been part of. And it wasn't until that company collapsed and it went the way of Enron and WorldCom, if you remember what those are. Yes. And it wasn't until after we all left that I realized that we were never intended to succeed. What we were was a big money laundering organization. Oh, my goodness. It was great fun in the first six months. We were growing and doing all kinds of really cutting edge things in our own minds. All of the top people at the company, it was seven men. They all left with seven and eight figure parachutes about 90 days before the company went bankrupt. I was the last person out the door on the West Coast. I laid everybody off and all of the assets that I could and handed over the keys and turned off the lights. And my last two paychecks bounced. And they had taken money out of our checks and never paid the benefit services provider. So all of a sudden, everybody's lost their jobs. And we start getting letters from hospitals and doctors saying, you know, congratulations, your wife just had twins. And we're just letting you know they're not going to college. Any kind of steps that you could take? Not at that time. The laws changed. They brought in a thing called Sarbanes-Oxley that has changed the tax laws. Because one of the things that happened to everybody is that we were all given shares as part of our compensation package. And we were all taxed on the value of those shares, even after the company had gone bankrupt. And there were a lot of people who were really into this whole idea of, you know, what kinds of shares can I get? And they were all going to get rich that way. I remember early on in that company, I was interviewing a young man for a position. And he said, I'm 28 years old. Where's my million dollars? And I was a little bit older than that at the time. And I was like, what a lovely thing to be able to say. Wow. It was a real wake-up call. And I remember because this company had been my client, I thought, oh, I'll just go back to doing my consulting and it'll be fine. But the whole landscape had changed. And I didn't want to be the downsizing expert, even though I was a downsizing expert at this point. So my mother, who was alive at the time advised me, why don't you go back to school and get your teaching credential? Because then you'll always have something to fall back on. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. And a good friend of mine who was in the same position said, why don't we get our real estate broker's license? And it it turned out it was the easiest, fastest, cheapest license for me to get given my previous experience. Okay. So instead of going back to school for two or three years, I was able to get the license in four months and 
And then I thought, well, if I'm passing myself off as this real estate expert, maybe I should actually do it. So I got a job in my local real estate company, you know, office and I spent my weekends sitting in empty condos, watching couples fight and baking, cooking at a time and then eating them all. And I had a really bad attitude about it. And my husband sat me down and and basically said, what's your problem? And I told him all the things that I didn't like about it and how it was all about money. Everybody was so unprofessional. It just didn't, you know, move me. And finally, he looked at me and goes, you think this is beneath you, don't you? And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, I used to run a movie studio. I have a master's degree. I was doing all, I was important. I was doing all this stuff. And now look what I'm doing. And he goes, well, get over yourself. Because the fact is, this real estate license doesn't define you. It's just another tool in your toolbox. You're always talking about how you want to save the world and you want to bring people together and make the world a better place. So do it. And then, you know, a decade or so later, here we are with our own company. Yeah. And at what point did your husband join you? Well, I bounced around a bit after that. Oh, so you didn't just wake up and go, okay, I've got it. Here it is. And really, I had opened an office in my hometown for another company that had been my client, a big real estate company. And it was at the beginning of the Great Recession where all the foreclosures were happening. And a very large real estate company that I had consulted with before called me up and said, don't you live up there? Because I live in the North Bay. And I said, yes. And they said, we would like you to open this office and take over a number of these properties that are deep and little little foreclosure. So I said, sure. And I went and did that. And my portfolio grew. We ended up taking on more and more properties. And I grew a team. I had a bunch of people working for me in the office. And I had relationships with the various landlords and tenants in the area. And we did such a good job that all the properties that we were managing leased up and stabilized and sold. And then the company called me up and said, thank you very much, Carolyn. We're going to close your office. Oh. That's what I said. (laughs) Let's reward high performance by getting rid of you. And... So I went in the next day to have a meeting with my employee, with my team, and get ready to lay them off and let them know that I was going to get them the best package I possibly could and how much they meant to me. And they all said, we really believe in you, and we really like working with you and working together. And if you wanted to do your own thing, we would stick with you. And I went home to my husband, and I was like, how about that family business? And he's like, let's go. Oh, I love that. So I woke up the next morning going, how am I going to pay all of these people? Yeah, that's always a question. Yeah. You're starting out. (laughs) Yeah. And we just figured it out as we went. So you started your own business doing the thing that you had been doing so well that you were terminated. (laughs) (laughs) And you and your husband, Marty, go into business together. And so... I've just got to ask, when couples are in business, I always ask, how does that work for you? And what makes it work for you? Well, I think I come from an entrepreneurial family, but I come from an entrepreneurial family of loners. So it never really occurred to me to have a family business. And I, now that I've been doing it for 10 years, I really wished I'd done it two decades earlier. Because what I didn't realize 
when I was working in corporate America is that there, it feels like in corporate America, the way it's set up, everybody is competing against everybody else and everybody's got a different agenda. And to suddenly be in business with somebody who has no other agenda, who wants only my wild success and wants only to support whatever it is we're doing together, it's wonderful. And we got married because we wanted to spend as much time together as we could. And the entrepreneurial journey can be a very lonely one. Yes. And it is really lovely to, when you get married, you have a whole other brain and set of experiences that you have access to. And you don't necessarily have in the work environment. And access to a thought partner 24-7, which is amazing. I mean, there's some little adjustments that we've had to do because we really enjoy our lives and we're interested in our business and we're interested in the people that work with us and for us. And we have to sometimes say, okay, we have to stop talking about work now. Yeah. We're at a concert for crying out loud, you know. Right. That would be the hard thing, I think, is separating that and like, okay, now we're husband and wife. So we're going to turn off the business part. Tell me how, once you started this company, how did you build a brand? You had probably somewhat already a personal brand for doing what you were doing. How did you kind of create the brand around the company? It's a really good question. And I have to say that I'm all about the brand. (laughs) I am all about the brand. There is a cookie cutter way of building a real estate company. Mm -hmm. And I already knew that I didn't want to do that. I wanted to create something that was number one, a force for good, but also because we're a service company, we don't make a product. We're not out selling any of those things. We provide a service and that service is provided by our employees. Therefore, our employees are our most important clients. And so, first of all, I wanted to create a place where everybody could bring their whole self to work, where people felt seen and fully utilized. And at first, I was like, everybody's going to make six figures. And we try to come close to that. But what I learned early on is it is impossible to pay people what they're worth because there is not enough money in the entire world to truly honor the value of a human being. You can only pay people what the task is worth. Right. By creating pathways of opportunity, by creating open communication, by creating systems where everybody isn't competing against everybody else, we're all working together to make something happen. And everybody has a stake in everybody else's success was very exciting to me because I spent a lot of time in various corporate meetings previous to this, sitting back going, I could do this so much better. Yeah. And yeah. now is the time for me to say, okay, well, let's show how we can do this so much better. And so in addition to the various organizations that we're part of and to get awards and recognition for things, it's it tends to be strictly, they only look at square footage and dollar value of your transactions. That's a shame. And that is such a tiny part. Right. I can go out and speak and say that within a mile of where I'm sitting right now, I'm personally responsible for saving over 30 million gallons of water during the drought. So explain that to the people listening. So it's really easy to understand that you collect rent 
you provide sustainability consulting, but what does that really look like? So when you say that you've saved all this water and you're clear blue, so we can talk about that a little because that name is very intentional. So I know you you thought very carefully about that, but talk to people about how this actually works. Well, where we manage property, we've been able to do a number of things. There has been arguably... You know, there's a drought in California right now, but everybody forgot about it because it rained this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. But there's been a long-term drought. And one of the things that I look at is, and this is true all over the country, and in business parks, they all have these big lawns because they're supposed to look so nice and green. And and they have these great big sprinklers. And the sprinklers spray everywhere, not always on the lawn. So during the initial drought, we got a lot of notifications from the water agency saying you've got to stop watering your lawns or you can only water your lawn this much and it's not really enough to save the lawn. So we did our first, a little turf conversion on a little patch of grass where we took out the lawn and we took out the sprinklers and we put in a a drip system and some mulch and drought tolerant plants, which were actually had a lot of color and were really beautiful and put in a little walking plant and a path. And we chose our plants carefully. We made sure that they were not just drought tolerant plants. They had, they attracted pollinators. They had color. They were low maintenance. And what the drip system does, because you're still using water, to do some water, but you're using so much less water. And you're also, the water that we do use, instead of spraying into the rain gutters and going out to sea or going under the foundation of the building that and you have to do maintenance with that or destroying the windows, or there's all kinds of bad things that spring posting. Right. What the drip system does is it allows the water that you do use to sink back into the earth and replenish the aquifer from which it comes. So we did that first little one and I was able to do it. I didn't tell the client until after we did it. And then I sent him photos and showed him how much water we were saving and he loved it. And then I was hooked. And then I'm like, we're going to do this everywhere with every property that we manage. And we slowly but surely did that. And then we came across the largest building that we had ever done with the most lawn. And I brought back my landscaping company, who was my best friend by this point, and said, I want to do a total turf conversion here and 65,000 square feet of lawn, which is huge. That is 65,000 square feet. Yeah. is massive, yes. Yeah, it's bigger than a football field. So they bid on it, and the bid came back at a quarter of a million dollars. And I did the math, and that would pay for itself in water savings in 32 years. And that's a non-starter for any of my clients. Yeah, that's a long time. So then we reached out to a local nonprofit that was doing residential turf conversions, trying to get everybody to do their little loans. And we reached out to the local water agency and the city who was having a, who had a program at the time called Mulch Madness. And so we got all of our materials donated Uh, We went back to the landscaping company and said, well, most of your bid is all materials and labor. So if we just provide all the materials and labor, would you be willing to just come in and do the prep work? So they came back, they gave us a bid for that, which was about 20% of what their original bid had been. And we hired a couple of bands 
And the local massage school came and set up their chairs. We got some local companies to donate, you know, snacks and granola bars and, and all kinds of deliciousness. And we got 150 volunteers. And this was supposed to take six weeks, cost a quarter of a million dollars. It ended up taking six hours. Six and it hours? Six hours, and it cost under $70,000, which was less than what the landscaping budget was for that How year. You, wait, 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 wait. How do you think you attracted all those volunteers? What really inspired them, or what was your message, I think, to them that made them want to come out and do this? Because they're doing it for a business, right? It's not necessarily like, oh, we're going to go down to Ronald McDonald House and do something for the kids. Well, the truth is it wasn't to benefit a business. The owner of this building was a big uh, real estate investment trust out of the East Coast. And this property was just a lying item on a spreadsheet for them. Okay. And they had over a billion dollars in assets. But locally in the community, we were all feeling the drought big time. Uh, yeah. And it's all of our water. And as I like to say, it's a very good question. And we got some press on it. And the reporter came and asked me that exact question. Okay. It is a good question. And what I said was, well, first of all, I didn't round all these people up with a gun and tell them they had to come here. They right. came if they wanted to. Right. But through the nonprofit and the water agency, we were able to do outreach to people that were already interested in making a difference. In addition, we contacted all the local high schools. Because all of the seniors, they have a community service credit requirement. Yes, they do. And so you get those young football players and track stars out and they can really make a difference. And, you know, so I was signing all of their papers for their teachers so that they could get six hours of community service credit. And it was a really good time. And because both my husband and I come out of the entertainment industry, we just happened to make a video about this whole thing. And it was a wonderful experience for everybody. And we got yeah. great press. And then at, towards the end of the month, as I'm doing my report, I get some questions out of the East Coast. Like, why are there massage therapists on the landscaping budget? And who is the Bad Apple String Band? And I explained it to them. And then I sent them the video. And it's like, here's what we accomplished. And here's how much this will save. And here's what a great yeah. thing. And they loved the video. They loved it so much. They showed it at their annual shareholders meeting. That's brilliant. And so we were able to take a building that was losing money, that was a line item on somebody's spreadsheet, and all of a sudden make investors from all over the country feel really good about where they were putting their money. This is like... Look, you invested in here. Look at what we did. Look at what your dollars helped to do. So I do want to make a point there because this isn't just about turning a lawn into something that's more sustainable. This is good for the planet. It is good for the company because it saves them money. And I think that's something that we always want to, to lift up and say that doing good is good for business most of the time. And here's a good example of how that plays out. By switching out, they're saving water, which benefits the community and benefits the planet. And the company itself is now saving money because they're not paying for all that water to keep the lawn screen. And I think that's just really important that 
through sustainability consulting or looking for where we as individuals can make a difference, it's not in lieu of doing well in business. No, it's part of that. So I just kind of wanted to pause and kind of bring that home for our listeners, because I know you said at the beginning that you were really driven by inspiring others to make the world a better place in whatever their sphere of influence might be. And this is an example of how you did that using your expertise and your sphere of influence. What I have found is that nobody wants to pay us to do sustainability consulting. And even, and all of our clients are wonderful, good people who love the earth and love humanity. It's just not how they're used to focusing their core business. Right. For us, that's first and foremost for us. And we have found through doing good business in the commercial real estate industry, we have been able to move all of these properties and communities forward on the sustainability continuum in kind of a stealthy way. It's really interesting. There's huge misconception that sustainability or green is more expensive. Right. And first of all, we're out to prove that, no, it's not. It more than pays for itself. But also, when anybody says that to me, I think, well, more expensive than what? More expensive than creating a planet that is not fit to sustain life. Yeah. You know, more more expensive than not having water that's fit to drink or air that we can actually breathe. Those kinds of things, those are going to help us all. And I've even had people hire us because they like that pitch and they like what we say. But once they hire us, they're like, but we don't want any of that green stuff. Just collect the rents and pay the bills, blah, blah. And I always say, yes, of course, I understand completely. Because I know that the way we can have impact is, first of all, the more business we do, the more people we help, the more impact we'll have. And a huge part of really good property management has to do with, it has to do with managing that annual budget. And so it's money that would be spent anyway, If we can redirect those dollars in a better way, in a way that's more sustainable, that has more positive impact, then... ROI, right? Exactly. We just put a 100,000 square foot solar array on buildings that we manage in Sacramento as a subcontractor uh, for the state and with a major corporation. None of them asked us to do it. We just figured out a way to get it done with no out-of-pocket from our client or their client or the landlord. We just brought them cleaner, cheaper energy right away. We started saving them money. So I'd like to say, first of all, if you're a taxpayer in the state of California, you're welcome. So I want to point out something because we talk a lot in marketing about how you lead your messaging. And there's this whole thing about, you know, I want to give you what I know you need, but If people aren't aware that they need that or don't even think that they want it or believe it's going to cost them too much, then you get in the door by solving the problem they do have and introduce your better way of doing things after you already are proving yourself to them. And I think that's what you did. And well, it's clear that's what you did. And I want to drive that home. You didn't say when they said that, 
oh, but you really need the sustainability. And that's what we're all about. And if you want to hire us and not use that, then we're not the right company for you. You got in the door and then you showed them how it could benefit them. And so again, it's a win-win situation. And so as our listeners are out there thinking about where they're having impact and what they really want to do, be mindful of that and understand that you can meet people where they are unless they don't share your values at all. That's a little bit harder or if they're in opposition to your values. But if you can meet them where they are, then you have the opportunity of showing them how you can make their business better. And I love that's what you're doing with Clear Blue Commercial. I love that what you said about meeting them where they are. What for me, one of the biggest marketing challenges is that we ultimately, even though we're not always the lowest bidder, we're almost never the lowest bidder. Okay. We do save our clients a whole lot of money. And we also have enabled them to take credit for a lot of the things that we have done. And we have improved every community and every property that we've ever been involved with. I love that. The challenge for us is our clients don't get to know that about us until they've been working with us for a couple of years. And we're able to come back with our reports and show all that we've saved. So that has been my personal branding challenge the question I always get is, so you only manage green properties? You only work with green properties and green landmarks? Well, what's the point of that? First of all, the greenest building is one that's already built. Mm-hmm. So we need to meet every property and every client where they are. Right. And help them whether they know they need help or not. And also, we don't just deal with like-minded clients because in my opinion... You have a lot more impact when you're not preaching to the choir. So my business, commercial real estate, is not necessarily known for all of its benevolence and good in the world. Right. So I really like the idea of being able to reach out to people that don't necessarily share my values or don't aren't necessarily like-minded and show them how they can personally benefit from whatever their priorities are they can benefit from these efforts that we are making to help the planet and humanity and communities where we work. Thank you, Carolyn. So I always end my podcast episodes by saying, great, we talked about your business, how you prosper, how you position yourself in the world. What does it mean for you personally to prosper? Oh, well, as my husband will happily tell you, I don't think money's even a real thing. So I don't look at my bottom line and I'm a good business person. I'm in my every bank account every day and you know I know my numbers and all, all that sort of thing. But the truth is, it's how much fun is everybody having? How much joy are we creating? How much are we stopping to appreciate this wonderful planet and these wonderful bodies in this life we have? There was a movie back in the 90s with John Travolta called Michael, where he played the Archangel. Archangel, yeah. Yeah. Great soundtrack, too, from that film. It was. And there's a scene at the very end, or near the end, where he's uh, sitting on a log, and it's his last trip to Earth. And he's just sitting on a log in a field, and you see the wind blowing and the birds flying, and, and you can tell he's just listening to the sounds and smelling everything. And all of a sudden he says, almost under his breath, he goes, I am going to miss everything so much. 
And I was channel surfing a while back and I hit on that scene and it just started. I got goosebumps just now saying it. I am going to miss everything so much, but I don't think I am going to miss anything I did on a spreadsheet. It's about appreciating this amazing life that we all get to have. Thank you. Carolyn Pistone, thank you so much for being my guest on The Prosper Project today. Thank you so much for your attention. This was lovely. It was a wonderful conversation. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Prosper Project. If you want to grow a peerless, profitable brand, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you find value in our show, please help us reach others by sharing an episode and leaving a review. In appreciation, please visit prosperforpurpose.com for more free resources to help you grow your business.